Hi there, my name is Terry and welcome to another episode of the Animation Industry Podcast. This chat is with a very well-known animator in the Canadian stop-motion scene and his name is Dave Thomas. In fact, I like to consider him part of Canadian stop-motion history because he's touched so many projects over the last few decades. And today our chat is going to cover what he's worked on through the years and his best advice for those pursuing stop-motion animation in today's marketplace as well. But Dave's passion for animation goes beyond just stop motion as he's directed award-winning series, specials, show opens, and commercials created in an array of techniques and animation mediums. His list of projects include work for Disney, Warner Brothers, Nickelodeon, ABC Family, MTV2, CBC, Teletoon, the HBO Family, and Fisher-Price. He's even given talks at colleges, schools, and panels on animation, and he currently mentors fourth-year animation students at Sheridan College through their final thesis films. So let's jump right into the chat. Hi, Dave. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm pretty good, thanks. How are you? Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I'm I'm actually kind of surprised we haven't crossed paths before, seeming as you mentor at Sheridan and uh, you're... You've animated in Toronto and all these other things, so uh, I'm super happy that we're finally chatting and we connected. Well, that, that's because I, I only come out at night, Terry. Oh, okay. I, uh, like, I'm totally joking. But, you know, animators uh, are not often seen in daylight, are they? Yeah, right? You're just locked in. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I kind of consider you now kind of a pivotal piece of stop motion in Canada because you've been involved in so many projects for so many years. Um, so looking back... Uh, what was the first inkling you had that you would be perfect for the world of stop motion? Yeah, you know, um, it's funny. When back in the day, I really had no plans or uh, future interest in working in animation. It really didn't even cross my mind. Um, originally, actually, I wanted to be to go into physics, and uh, at some point decided mm, I think I'll have more fun in film. So I went into film production. Uh, media arts, film, photography, video. Uh, but when I was in school, my first year, uh, I began to uh, experiment with plasticine animation. Uh, became friends with somebody else in the program who had done some stuff in high school. And I've always liked, I always liked Gumby and Dating Goliath. So I always liked stop motion, but the idea of actually doing it just never crossed my mind till the beginning of college. Began to plunk around with it and I found I really really kind of liked it because for me it was this perfect marriage of the principles and elements of live action sets lighting you know uh, cameras all physics that kind of phys physical yeah physics exactly uh, and also the complete control of frame by frame animation um, and so I we just sort of making a couple little made a couple super eight films in the first year and uh, I, I really liked it, which is weird because uh, I don't actually like the feeling of plasticine on my hands. I just, I don't like the stickiness and the gumminess. Never played with it as a kid. So go figure, in college, I start playing with plasticine. Um, so you, you loved it enough that, well, why did you love it so much that you decided to pursue it as a career? Like there wasn't a ton of opportunity, especially well, in Canada here. No, well, even that is uh, a bit of a stumble. I mean, I, I often say I kind of tripped into my career, frankly, because <laughs> I continued with the live action schooling and focusing on that. And then uh, when school finished and I was, you know, as you do, looking for work, 
it was one of those years that was a little on the low end for for stuff. And I literally, this is back in, you know, pre-internet days. I'm out there with a duffel bag full of CDs and VHS tapes trying to find work and going to every production company I could find. And eventually I began to think, well, maybe, oh, I should backpedal, I guess. Um, when I was in second year, I did a split live action stop motion clay film um, to, uh, to finish off my second year of film production. And I had the extreme good fortune of having it sold to HBO. Um, which was, How does that happen? You know, well, I mean, luckily one of my film instructors reminded me, uh, you know, you should try getting your film. There was a distribution center for Canadian independent films back then. So I met with them and they took the film and they said, yeah, well, we'll accept it and we'll try to shop it around for you. And literally a week later, I get a phone call from the center saying, uh, yeah, we just made a film sale for you and it's for HBO. I mean, I was 20 and, you know, I'm not talking, we're not talking mega, mega wealth here. You know, I think the, the sale, I basically broke even the cost which make, of making the movie. So, you know, well, that's far, amazing. Most but, I mean, most students don't make any money off of their Well, uh, You know, all I all I know is I ran around the backyard for about 10 minutes thinking I was uh, the next Steven Spielberg was shot. Yeah. Anyway, but, so, that was, so so, so, uh, you know, moving forward, when I graduated school uh, after trying to find work in the live field and video production, that sort of thing, uh, I thought, well, maybe I'll just try a long shot and start hitting animation studios and see what happens. And again, I don't even know, frankly, why they hired me at the time, because I ended up getting hired as a production assistant at a studio called Lightbox Studios uh, that did traditional 2D animated uh, productions, uh, primarily commercials. And I walked in the lobby for thinking I was just going to drop off a, a CV and it turns out they had me booked in for an actual interview with the owners. And I walk in this reception room. Full, like, there was like five or six other people waiting for their interviews. And there was all this beautiful cell work on the walls from Dare Bear commercials and Zelda's commercials. And I thought, and I thought, oh, man, I haven't got a chance. <laughs> so what actually happened was I think it totally relaxed me. I had no expectations whatsoever. I met with the owners. We had a really great conversation. They asked me to come back two days later, and then they hired me. So I did a PA's job, and sort of that thus, be, thus began my illustrious career in animation. Now, again, it wasn't stop, no, yeah. uh, but it was work, and it was industry, and I learned about you know, exposure guides and pencil tests and all this stuff, which, you know, because I didn't go to school for it, was I didn't really know what it all meant, so it was a great learning curve for me. Nice. Um, and then I, meanwhile, uh, began to work on an independent film idea with with another friend of mine, and we got a film grant from the Ontario Arts Council to make this film called uh, Rodent Stew, which was is a stop motion film with some so it's it's there's some blended stuff. It's mostly stop mo clay, but there's also scenes with some 2D characters and 2D effects. And so I quit my first studio job and just dived into the film full on. And so, 
just sorry, just I want to jump in and say that I, I looked up the Canadian Filmmaker Distribution Center and it still exists. Uh, and so it was founded in 1967. Their website's a little iffy, um, <laughs> but I guess uh, you can still submit your film and and see where it goes. Well, um, you should check the catalog and see if Rodin Stew is still there. Yeah. So let's jump back into Rodin Stew. So you had a job and then yeah. you decided to quit it to work on yeah. a film. So if I got this straight, you were super anxious to find a job in yeah. animation. You had like a duffel bag full of CVs that you were handing out. You got a job as a, a production assistant and then you quit it to then be on your own to make your own film? Like what, yeah, what, I mean, what was going never, through your mind? I, I never claimed to say that I, I made always the logical choices. I w wanted to do my own work. I was really, I felt, and I'll tell you, the uh, Road and Stew, the film I did in college, the one, uh, Clay Dreaming, the, H, the one I sold to HBO, I mean, you know, that one, I knew the rudiments of animation, but that's about it. It was totally seat of the pants filmmaking. Um, if there's students out there, do not listen to what I'm about to tell you, but I basically <laughs> skipped my last month of classes and second year, stayed home and shot the film. Uh, don't do that, students. It's not advisable, but... They were lenient with me when I was in school. Finished the film. And so I shot this, you know, about four minutes of animation in about a month. So uh. Red and Stew, I thought, was going to be about a six and a half to seven minute long movie. So I figured, eh, it'll take me maybe six or seven months to make this film. Uh, well, because I had no producer working with me, I kept embellishing and embellishing and adding this and adding that. And the film ballooned out to be almost 17 minutes long. So it's yeah, I've watched it. It's it's incredibly stylized, and like the stuff you accomplished, even t for today's standards, is quite amazing. <laughs> well, well, thank you. And you know, that's the thing. I mean, I count it as my 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 animation, uh, somewhat education, if you will, because right. you know there was I had no internet to go to. Um, I had no video assist. I had no computer toggling. It was all shot in 16 millimeter film. So sometimes it would be weeks before I saw the footage, whether I knew my scenes had worked out or not. Um, I handed all my dope sheets and I hand wrote out absolutely everything that was moving under frame. Literally like character head, arm, finger, hand, foot, cat, mouse, whatever. And I would, <laughs> yeah. I would, I would animate each element, click the camera to advance the frame or two, and then check mark character head, hand, foot, mouth, cat, mouse, whatever. Next frame. And so it went. Um, and all the pretty much, except for cross dissolves for transitions, all the other effects in the film are burned into the original negative. So I had a key that I could rewind the film. And I would carefully count back, you know, 24 frames, 48 frames, whatever. And then I would do second and third passes. I built my own mat box so I could oh do clock, clock wipes or vertical wipes. So I could have a farmyard scene. And, you know, if I wanted to have a clock wipe into the next scene, I would have my A mats clock wiping to pure black. Then I would cap the camera, shut down the studio lights or... Uh, cap the camera, change the entire set, 
which could be two days, three days, whatever. And then I would wind the film back 24 frames and then use my B mats, which is the clock wipe in reverse to reveal the next set. And if I did my measurements and counting correctly, uh, it would be seamless on the original negative. Some um, of those terms that you said I've never even heard of before. You'll, you'll, <laughs> I, you'll have to you'll have to Google some. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the expression "where there's a will, there's a way" is is uh, exactly what you're describing. It we have well, it way too easy now. <laughs> I mean, I love it because for me, I love problem solving and I love finding innovative, uh, also low tech or whatever works ways to solve problems or you know. Like, my mother would laugh because if things went missing around the house, she would assume that was on set. And I would be, I would hear, I, I can't find the colander. And I would say, I'm using it for some lighting. I'll have right. it back to you in five weeks. You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, don't make any pasta in the next five weeks. <laughs> well, plus, because I was shooting in my parents' basement, I was on household circuit, uh, electricity. And I discovered that if she, my parents were using the, the laundry, the exposure values would dip with the, with the lighting. So we had to work out a system. If I was shooting, they wouldn't do laundry until <laughs> I was done because it would affect, you know, over the shooting style, you'd see light flicker. And okay. I mean, for me, the film does have, I mean, it's not technically perfect. It's, there's, there's things I would, you know, completely do differently today and not maybe oh. quite so low tech, but uh, you know, it was a great learning curve, and I had I had a lot of fun um, working on. Went through a lot of plasticine. That's yeah, even though you hated plasticine. Also, your parents are are gems for doing that. Oh. Uh, yeah, I have to say, I really have to tip my hat to uh, my entire family actually for putting up with me for so long. Where um, I used, I dominated the basement, and uh, you know, down there quite you know a lot of hours, day and night, yeah. working on stuff and. Uh, well, and then when I became a, you know, when I became a father with my kids too, I mean, kind of the same story. Where's dad? He's in the basement. So. <laughs> oh, it's not. Hey, dad, don't do the laundry while we're animating. <laughs> no, not so much. Um, no, I'm, no. I'm gonna include a link to Rodent Stew in the description of this podcast because I think everybody should check it out. It's quite incredible what you accomplished, even by today's standards. I think, and oh, every yeah. moment is there's a gag going on or something interesting. It's really a fun film. So oh, thanks. Well, that, that's why it took so long to make because I just couldn't. Yeah. Myself. Yeah. Well, do you think that uh, I guess people or aspiring animators these days um, should be able to learn animation or specifically stop motion much more quickly because of all the technical help they get through software and cameras and stuff that you didn't have? Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I mean, we found that even uh, a bunch of years ago when I worked at a, a studio called uh, Cup of Coffee Studios, uh, we had we were gearing up for a new show and uh, we decided to we needed new fresh animators. So we reached out and we interviewed a bunch of students at Sheridan College, selected about eight people. We thought we just sensed something about them that they might be able to make the, the jump from doing 2D into stop now because it's a bit of a different thing, right? Different technique. And uh, we trained them. We had several classes. We actually called it the uh, Cup of Coffee College of Stop Motionology. Silly, silly name, but uh, I think I think I made it up, actually. And, uh, you know, we'd give them some lessons, some pointers, and let them have a puppet under camera, and then we'd go and critique. And over the course of, like, two or three weekends, we were seeing exponential leaps in ability. And I remember 
one of the fellow my the fellow instructors saying to me, uh, yeah, this isn't fair. It took me five years to figure this stuff out. And they're getting it in three weeks because they have, you know, they had us to help. Uh, I mean, because I didn't have anybody and neither did he. We just kind of learned on our own in basements. Um, and they were, you know, again, don't get me wrong. These were naturally talented people who were great innate performers and good students of animation to begin with, which is always super important. Uh, but they also had some technical advantages that we didn't have. They had the toggling of the software, the immediacy of playback and feedback. So they could, you know, shoot a scene for two hours, play it on loop and go, oh, oh, that's where it went. Oh, okay, yeah. right here. So yeah, the, the, the feedback is much, much quicker today uh, yeah. in terms of, of uh, self-education. So I, I, I want to dig a little deeper into kind of the story of your career because I feel, well, I, I heard some of it before we talked, but I feel like it's kind of pivotal to how stop motion kind of developed and was portrayed in Canada history. So, um, <laughs> so you made, you made rodent stew and then how did that end up, you know, kickstarting your career for you now that you had this 17 minute insane claymated <laughs> film entirely in stop motion, which I can't, who else in the world was doing that when you did that? <laughs> oh, I think there's probably, there was a few isolated people, you know, uh, working in basements. Uh, but yeah, like of, three other people in the world at that time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, uh, with regards to, to, to Road and Stew, uh, when I finished it, I'm trying to think back now, as I was finishing it, um, because I had taken, you know, it was. It took me a few years to get that film done. I'll just be totally candid. Yeah. And I was working part-time retail, uh, you know, trying to bring a little bit of money in, uh, making, getting this film finished. So when I went back to get back in the business, uh, you know, when you step out back then as well, uh, for me, it was a little, it was a bit of a challenge to get back in because, I, you know, again, no one really knew me, right? I, I, I had purposely stepped out. So again, it was back to the whole, phoning phone calls, doing phone calls and cold calls and trips to Toronto with, uh, didn't even have DVDs. I was still VHS tapes. And, oh uh, does, that I, mean, uh, does that mean that studios had VHS players that you had to pop it in? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> what was really awesome was the ones that had these little like 12 inch TV sets with the inbuilt VHS deck below. That oh. was, that was so awesome back then. Um, <laughs> Anyway, so I, and then again, you know, sometimes it's a fluke. Quite literally, I got my next studio job. Um, actually, in between, so in between, um, I found out there was a TVO series, like a live to air show for youth called uh, What? And it was like topics for youth, you know, um, uh, alcohol, uh, parties, um, tattoos, Themes that people in their teens and maybe early twenties twenties would would want to be you know interested in, and uh, I got involved with them and I ended up doing. They had a character in mind for some segments in the half hour show called Mr. Conglomerate. He was <laughs> meant to be the embodiment of big business trying to make money off the fads and interests of youth. So uh, I got involved and I ended up doing five different episodes for TV Ontario where they would have the episode theme, like I said, like music. So I would pitch the story idea, uh, I would board it, and then built animated 
uh, sound effects. And then because the budget was not, you know, wasn't very high, um, I actually got my father to be the voice of Mr. Conglomerate. <laughs> and uh, and I'm the voice of his assistant, uh, Hugo. And I delivered like, so I got a little bit of, you know, experience and under my belt doing this stuff independently uh, while I was still trying to finish off Rodent Stew. And then when that was done, um, quite literally, uh, my sister found an article in a newspaper of a guy who had a studio animating dinosaurs, like re like super realistic for like Discovery Channel and high-end uh, productions. Uh, foam latex, they look absolutely real. And uh, he seemed like a really cool guy. So I went down and interviewed with him. There was a guy named Hall Train. Wonderful man, great guy to work with. And uh, after, they didn't have any work immediately that I could jump into, but he allowed me graciously to go down and use his computer equipment whenever I, I could and play around with the puppets and get familiar with it. And then he said, you know, when we have a production that I could use your assistance, I'll bring you in, which is exactly what he did. So I got nice. to It was amazing. I, I Lots of... Uh, probably the hardest animation I've ever done because we shot it single frame, 30 FPS, and it, the dinosaurs had to look absolutely alive. Like there was no, you know, cartoony personality. They had to look legit. So, Is there somewhere online I can see these dinosaur you, animations? You know, that I don't Maybe. know. It's so, you know, you, the one you'd have to go digging for. Yeah. It's called The Ultimate Guide to T-Rex by Discovery Channel. Um, and there was, it wasn't just me anime, there was three of us, and I was, I was obviously the junior guy on the crew. Um, but, uh, you know, it was a blast, and Hall was a great guy, and I made a couple of great friends there. Uh, so, I, sorry, I just looked it up. The whole documentary is on YouTube. So, somewhere well, in there, every, is there... Everything's on YouTube. Is on it. If, if you but, know the timestamp, I can... <laughs> oh, that's funny. Can, well, and then a, a couple of things we worked on there, which is kind of cool. We did some animation of the um, Barasaurus for the yeah. um, American Museum of Natural History in New York City. Um, so, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming the animation's still there, but... I did go to visit one summer and saw some monitors with some animation I had done of uh, this uh, prehistoric fish. Hope I get the name right. Dunk Hall, if you're listening, <laughs> Dunkleosthesis, I think. It's this armored, okay. bony-plated fish and some barosaurus. And then we also sculpted uh, a full-scale uh, triceratops for the Islands of, Islands of Adventure theme park back then. No and, way. And that was a blast. I mean, there was like seven of us, I think. Six or seven of us sculpting this 24-foot-long Triceratops sculpture in a warehouse at Oakville. That's crazy. Also, yeah. by the way, your uh, your T-Rex animation is right in the, the first 30 seconds of the documentary. <laughs> oh, my, oh, my gosh. I'll have to, I'll have to dig it You'll up. Have to, yeah. Um, so it, it's it like, okay, so, so far it just seems like you were – kind of just putting yourself out there and taking whatever opportunity came your way. You weren't like, I want to stay here. I want to do this specific stop motion. You're nope. just like, Any, anything that is related, I'll take. Uh, you know, that's the thing. For me, it was just, I, I I like being creative. And, you know, obviously back in the day, I just, I really, really, really wanted to be in the industry. And yeah. uh, I, as you say, I put my name out there. And I, when I was working for Hall, 
I independently approached Global Television because they had some animated bumpers for their children's programming that I thought, geez, I, I think I could do some of those. And I just cold called them. Hi, I do stop motion. I'd like to do some bumpers for you. And we had a few phone calls back and forth. They kindly put together, you know, a pretty small budget, frankly, but I didn't care. I wanted the exposure and the work and yeah. all that. So I did all those in my in my parents' basement. I hope uh, I hope they're charging you rent. <laughs> <laughs> they Do you might, think they, I might get a bill now? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> they're listening. That's right. Um, do you think that kind of strategy can still work? Because I hear a lot of people say like, oh, you know, that's how things used to be. You can't just call anymore. You have to go through online stuff or whatever. Do you think you could just call up, I don't know, Global or a studio and say, hey, you know, I see you've got some spots. I'd love to make some in stop motion for you. Do you think that would work? You know, my my take on it is, I mean, maybe not. But my thing is, is uh, what's it going to hurt? The key, yeah. thing, the key thing always is... Um, to conduct yourself professionally. I mean, I know I said what I said, hey, I could do, but you know, when I was on the phone, I mean, obviously don't remember exactly what I said, but you know, you, you carry yourself um, with interest, uh, with professionalism uh, and enthusiasm. Um, right. And they'll tell you very, I mean, you know, obviously a lot of places I did call or met with, you know, a lot of stuff didn't pan out. Um, but I always even saw the ones I didn't pan out with actual work as a positive because I was meeting people. That's you true. Know, I, uh, and I, I firmly believe if you go in um, and I tell um, I tell students today, too, you know, it's you're not just marketing your skills as an artist or a technician. You're marketing yourself, too. You, you are a huge component of what you bring to a production. Yeah. So it's not just about being a fantastic animator or great designer. It's important, absolutely. But presenting yourself as an engaging, interesting person, inquisitive, um, respectful, uh, that's all important. And sometimes, uh, which has happened more than once for me, uh, like in the case of, of uh, Hall, you know, there was no work immediately. But I guess obviously we connected somehow that he considered me, you know, mm -hmm. uh, useful or yeah, I could see Dave maybe fitting here at some point. Why don't you come and use my stuff? And then hopefully something will work out where I can bring you in officially. And like I said, that's happened a couple of times for me in the past. So, yeah. So, so let me ask you this. So how do you, so say I'm approaching somebody and I'm, I'm all those things. I'm inquisitive, professional, et cetera. How do I also not reveal how amateur i guess i am in that moment too because you know you're just starting out how do you come across as like i have something really valuable to offer you versus like uh i'm gonna scramble and put this together and hope it works out <laughs> well i mean you know that's a little bit of the um that's a little bit of the dance right i mean you have to also learn to uh read the room a little bit uh, you obviously don't want to lie. Don't like, you know, I've heard stories of people saying, and it happens sometimes where you'll agree to do something and then you'll come away from a meeting and you think, great, now how are we going to do that? Um, yeah. So certainly those stories happen. And I've heard that happen. I've heard other people in the industry explain, 
yeah, I agreed that yeah, we can we can make fifty dancing unicorns, and then leave going, my gosh, how are we going to make fifty dancing unicorns? Thing is, even though you might say you're going to do it, and you don't have an immediate idea how you're going to do it, you probably have the subconscious confidence. Yeah, we can figure this out. So getting back to, as you say, starting out, uh, it's um, it's a balancing act of, of being confident without being cocky. And plus, you know, everyone knows, especially if you're coming out of school, everybody knows you don't obviously have a huge work history, right? Mm-hmm. So there's no points in, you know, hiding that. The key thing is if you're coming out of school and you've done your four years at Sheridan or wherever else, if you have a great portfolio of key, let's say you want to be a background painter, uh, some layout, you know, present them with a, a nice little range of I can do, you know, moody atmospheric, I can do graphic preschool, I can do Bob's Burgers or, or whatever. And then they say, oh, person's got some range. And then when you, if you're lucky to score an interview, uh, you know, again, it's about pers- interpersonal uh, relations, skills. You know, be conversational. Um, try to um, engage them with the passion that you have for the business. We, I, I've been in, in hiring situations where we've been crewing up for shows and we've hired uh, one guy that stands out in particular. He had just graduated school. His animation was uh, okay. I mean, it wasn't, we weren't going, whoa, whoa. It was, it was funny. It was cute. But what really impressed us was his attitude. Mm. There was just something about him that he was engaging and funny. And, uh, and I, I don't mean clowning around and being goofy, just, you know, charming in a way. And we could see, oh, he's got some skills. He seems like a decent guy. He seems keenly interested in what we're doing. I believe in authenticity. Don't yeah. give compliments on a studio or a person if you don't genuinely need it, because people can see through that. Oh, I love and, your work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, that's another thing, too. I'll sidebar it with do some research on the studios you're and people you're meeting with. You know, don't try to impress them with dropping. Oh, I noticed you did this show. and this, But just know it. So if mm-hmm. it comes up in conversation, you don't have a blank face on your face. You You know that they were involved with this project or that project yeah and then getting back to this this one this one uh guy we met with we hired him and like his animation exponentially went like through the roof again because he had the hunger and the keenness and the interest which was present in the interview plus he had some natural skills so that uh, it almost sounds like you're saying the the interest and the keenness and all that stuff is uh, Trump's talent in some scenarios, I guess. Well, I mean, I think, again, it's a balancing act because at yeah. the same time, we also need people who do know what they're doing. They have, you know, uh, they've got some chops. Uh, but I think, and, and again, there might be some uh, pros out there who might disagree with me, but I think, in my experience, I would rather work with somebody who has skill, talent, Maybe not at the absolute top of their game, but there's a keenness, there's a spirit, there's a teamwork, there's a sense of this person's going to be awesome with the group and the team. And I can see, or we can see, this person is just going to shine given the right tools and time and, and, and some, you know, obviously fresh out of school, 
studios like to mentor and train and, and guide uh, the juniors on the team too, right? Um, yeah. It makes a huge difference. Rather that than somebody who comes along who is astounding but is super difficult to work with. Production is stressful on the best of days, generally deadlines and expectations, both internal and external. Uh, you want you want everyone you're working with to get along, you know, uh, friendly, cooperative, um, you know, keeping everyone keeping a lid on their egos as, as much as possible. Uh, collaborative, uh, that's the kind of environment we want. And I've been really fortunate, frankly, in just about every studio I've worked at, I've been surrounded by super duper awesome people, uh, really. And many of them, I mean, I, I think I mentioned to you earlier, um, like I spent a lot of years at Cup of Coffee uh, and at peak time, I think we had over 200, 250 people there. And we're all like super tight to this day. Uh, That's awesome. We had, we, had a, we had a great time. We had foosball tournaments and, uh, you know, <laughs> costume events and, general silliness and uh and you know and a lot of animation too so yeah. um uh, yeah I, I really can't stress enough the human elements of working in this business it's yeah. you know just as important to develop that side of your personality as all the technical and artistic stuff too yeah um you mentioned something before about reading the room and I know that you've been on a number of productions, you've talked to producers, you've directed, you've, you've been in the room a lot of times. Do you have a strategy for coming in fresh and, you know, there's a bunch of people sitting there and you don't really know them and you have to sell them something or get involved right away? How, how do you read the room? Wow. Uh, I was going to tease you and say, that'll cost you extra, Terry. Well, I'm paying, so... <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm totally kidding. Uh, you know what? Um, that is a good question. Um, again, every situation you're in is different. I've been in situations where I've walked into a room, and I guess you're speaking right now probably primarily of maybe brand new clients or potential clients or first time you're working together. And I've walked into situations with people who are very poker-faced, um, not not giving out signals. Those are the challenging ones, obviously, because uh, you just you don't know whether to make a small joke or play things seriously. Um, wow, yeah, I, being in the room <laughs> is, is just one of those things with experience, you know? Um, so so do one, you try I, to create a light... Do you try you know, to tell a joke or something? Like No, I mean, I, again, I, I don't... Well, uh, I'm known for my terrible puns, but uh, <laughs> uh, I, I just want to say on the record, there is no such thing as a terrible pun. Oh, my gosh. I'm sure people are groaning right now. But anyway, anyway um, well, I'll give you an example, I guess. Uh, of a maybe, pun or reading the room? No, 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 of uh, reading the room. Uh, I had this one meeting that was set up. Uh, some uh, The guy I worked for uh, gave me a script, read the script. We're having a meeting with this gentleman on Tuesday. And the, the person we were meeting with was was known to be uh, that he could be a little standoffish or a little, little difficult or tough. And I thought, well, okay, well, I mean, I haven't met this person before. Let's um, see how it goes. And I love the script. I thought the script was great. And uh, and I'm being absolutely authentic. I loved it. I thought it was a, a great story. So when we, when we met, that's the first thing I said. I said, I love this script. I read it 
several times i can imagine this and imagine this and imagine this and we kind of just clicked you know and that kind of warmed up the room a little bit and uh we got along famously throughout the production um other clients come with you and the clients are great i mean client relationships are so key uh it is absolutely wonderful when you have a relationship with a client that is uh collaborative and fun like you're in a giant sandbox together um <laughs> You know, having said that, directing a series or a project that is somebody else's creative, there's this, um, again, it's a dance or a balance. You know, you need to become invested in it as though it's as though it's your own personal project, to love it, to do a great job in it. But you also must be respectful that you are doing this for somebody else. It's somebody else's idea or, you know, uh, IP or creative or whatever. Um, so... Sometimes I like to think I am the I am the uh, distant uncle on Project X. I've come in and somebody else has created the characters of the world, and they've invited me to come in to help them, you know, shape it. And if it's a project that I click with, uh, I just start thinking to myself, I'm I'm the uncle of, of Project Z. Um, I like that mentality. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you have to because I, for me, I always try to come from a place of I try to come from a place of uh, authenticity and it it helps so much when because again you know not every project that you work on is going to be a thousand percent yeah in your world right um some are and then those are you just you know it's like dancing every day and the ones which might be 970 percent in your world uh those are important too because it makes you grow as an artist right yeah. Um, you know, uh, if you're if you're a person who does a lot of preschool, and you are suddenly going to be going into an adult see, a, adult show, your first thought might be, oh, geez, I don't know, it's not really, it's not really the world that I work in normally. Uh, but then you start getting into it, and you find you kind of like this character, or you love that scenario. Oh, this is a funny little story here, and you find ways to connect with the material. And then generally, by the end of it, you go, gosh, that was fun. Who'd have thought? I'd have, I'd have <laughs> loved doing, you know, uh, cannibalistic zombies from Mars, or Earth, which I don't think is a real movie, but I think should be a real movie. So There's and, cannibal and clowns that. from outer space, so that's pretty close. <laughs> close enough, yes, close yeah. enough. Um, I like what you said about authenticity, because sometimes I get myself wrapped up in, because, like, for me, pursuing an artistic career, there's all this like perfectionism mindset and impress pressing of other people and like my current state of talent and all these like thoughts that I'm constantly wrapping myself up in, uh, in every conversation I have basically about art or with people who are interested in my art and vice versa. So I like just coming authentic. Here's where I'm at. This is what I like doing. Um, all that stuff. It, it's it's nice to hear that <laughs> that works. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, um, like I said before, you know, it's about respecting others' opinions, um, being collaborative, knowing which hill to die on. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I remember once uh, early in my career, I was doing a commercial, and um, I think back now, I think, my goodness, how how um, mundane and how minuscule an issue i had but we had designed this set and the creative director from the client side wanted to change the uh this is going to sound absolutely ridiculous they wanted to change the era 
that the tabletop radio came from. I oh think I had God. drawn, a, we had made like a 1930s style radio and they wanted like a 1950s transistor. And I remember I got the note and I was driving home that night thinking, this is an outrage. How dare they change the radio? <laughs> and you know, see if I had a time machine, I would go back and tell me, dude, really, come on. It's a radio. And P.S. Have you looked at the rest of the set you guys designed? It's all kind of 1950s kitsch. So frankly, Dave, your 1930s radio really doesn't belong here. Breeze and, and realize the other idea is the smarter way to go. So, yeah. but back in those days, I thought, oh my goodness, that's an outrage. And, and at the same time, I thought, wow, maybe I suck. Why would I choose? So, you know, it's one of those weird double arrow things where you think, uh, how dare they? And yet, man, maybe, maybe my idea was terrible. And it's not that. It's about the collaboration of ideas. Um, you know, I, I, I like to use, nerd alert, I like to use Star Trek as an analogy sometimes. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jean-Luc Picard doesn't have all the ideas. Uh, he gets them, of course, but he also turns to the people he's working with. You know, number one, what do you think? Wolf, what do you think? And they all give their suggestions and it's like, we'll go with that person's idea. And yeah. again, early in my career, I realized as the director, I did not necessarily have to come up with absolutely every idea. Uh, it's a collaboration. You work with fantastic people and they're going to come up with fantastic ideas and then it's your job as the director to kind of go, I like this, I like that, that's a great idea, let's do that, I love it, I love it, I love it. And I found I was much, much less stressed driving home from work uh, when I realized, uh, you know, being the director doesn't mean you're the dictator, right? So, right. So if it's uh, your job to, ch to choose the best ideas, do you ever get uh, someone who really pushes their idea and you have to, you know, kindly turn them down and well, there's some friction there? Yeah, sometimes. And, and again, that is not even about me trying to push my own personal agenda. Mm. Again, it, it always should come back to the production. What makes the most sense for the production? What makes the most sense for the story moment? The emotions, the comedy, the character. Uh, that needs to be the final litmus test of any decision that's made uh, for a show, whether it's costume designs, props, set look you know set design tightening of a gag uh it's it really is everything you do as a as a team uh should serve the show or the series or the special or the commercial uh that is the ultimate thing mm -hmm. and um and you and again when it comes to series especially because you live with the characters for you know months if not years you find at some point the characters kind of, not necessarily take over, but they kind of dictate, or they kind of let you know what works. It's a weird thing. You know, the characters, well, as a creator, I'm sure you know, the, the characters do kind of come alive at some point, right? Yeah. yeah they're kind of, you take your cues from them, you know. Yeah. That's not what Mr. Apple would do. Mr. Apple always leaves to work at 3 o'clock. You know, yeah, yeah. I have no idea who Mr. Apple is, but... Um, well, he's going to control you soon. He's going to control <laughs> I, I wanted to talk a little. So we talked about something ahead of time before this chat that I, I wanted to bring up. And I, and it kind of connects with everything that you've kind of 
said at this point, and it's the concept of persistence. And this is uh, especially interesting to me because um, coming out of high school as a young, you know, aspiring stop motion animator, I, made, I immediately just gave up because I didn't see any opportunity in front of me. <laughs> and I decided to choose something that I thought was a much more uh, safe and structured path. So I went to business school, I got the internships, I worked downtown marketing for my career. And like, I, I worked really hard to get all those things. But it was, it was, there was a, like a path laid out that it was like, if you work this hard, and you do these things, you know, you'll get there versus with stop motion, the path I saw just didn't exist. It was like, I'm gonna have to car carve this out myself. And I have no idea where to even start. But for you, you you know you you reached out to global kids you had this rodent stew you were working on dinosaurs like you just kept you know pushing and pushing and pushing and you didn't you didn't give in to your retail job or whatnot so i'm just wondering if you can go through why you were so persistent in pursuing this um i'm very results driven uh i love a challenge and uh for me you know, I just, once I sort of made the decision that, uh, like I guess it before, although it was a bit of a stumble, that I was, you know, going to pursue at the time, especially specifically stop motion, mm -hmm. I just decided that nothing was going to get in my way. Um, you know, looking for work back in those, those years, uh, both live and, and animated. Again, this is all pre Google spreadsheets and all that sort of thing. I would make up uh, I still have them, I think, actually. I'd get a binder, and I would draw, I'd make a grid, and I would columns with studio names, studio contact numbers, studio contact person, when I phone them, when I should do a phone back, did I drop a resume off, did I meet with them, when should I call back again? And I would, I had pages and pages of these, of these different uh, production houses. And again, I would also go to the phone book. This is going to sound crazy. I would go to the phone book and I would think, what is a good name for a studio? Uh, Monolith. That's a good name. And I would go through the phone book and if I found Monolith Productions, I would cold call. Hi. I was wondering what kind of work you guys do. Uh, well, we're, you know, uh, corporate video. Fantastic. Could I come in and drop off my reel? Uh, and I would go down and just drop off a reel. And it's like planting a garden. I would plant all these seeds and hope that something would come up. Now, if Monolith Productions made gloves, I would just say thank you very much and I would hang up. But I just decided that nothing was going to stop me. I would write, uh, again, this is all pre-internet, so I would write actual little letters. And I wrote letters to Ardman out in Britain, to uh, Will Vinton Productions, the precursor of uh, Leica, uh, independent filmmakers like in New York and, and uh the states and i would just connect and i would say hey you know i'm this i'm i do stop motion or i'm interested in animation or when i was making rodents do i'm making my own film i uh, love your work and i would get responses the studios would generally send me like uh publicity packages so i'd get their reels and uh, booklets and uh, behind the scenes stuff uh other animators and filmmakers would one guy in particular, he actually won an Oscar in '76 uh, for his movie. Uh, what was it called? Jimmy the Sea. It was about Jimmy Carter, the president Jimmy Carter. As guy's name was Jimmy Jimmy Picker, actually was his name. 
So I wrote to him and say, hi, I'm making my own film. And he wrote back saying, uh, so you're working on a film in your parents' basement. It's nice to see you're out of your mind. Keep it up. And, you know, it's silly, but it actually really boosted morale. I, I just kept moving forward with reaching out and connecting. And, you know, certainly like any endeavor, there were times where I thought, what am I doing? And this is taking forever. And, you know, making that film, all my film friends were off working on like, CBC series and feature films. And here I am in my parents' basement making this independent stop motion movie. But it was really important. It was really important to me to, to finish this movie, which was uh, that I put so much of my soul into. Yeah, um, I was I was the whole time you were sharing the story. I was just picturing like a, a film montage scene of young <laughs> Dave, you know, <laughs> going out on his bicycle. Uh, it's <laughs> not far off. Actually. It was, I, little duffel bag, little duffel bag full of. VHS tapes and you know hastily cobbled together uh actually I'll tell you one one story about something you probably shouldn't do I look back I think about it like cringe I uh I finished Road and Stew I finished the TVO stuff I think and I was repackaging so this is a I guess leading up to my eventual uh hiring at Kappa eventually but I put together like a nice I repackaged my my CV and part of it was a two-page photo collage, pre-Photoshop, so literally scissored out of photographs and glued together, then photocopied, color-copied, of uh, different stop-motion clay models I had made from different things. And then, oh my goodness, I, I made like word bubbles coming out of some of the characters' mouths. And it was like, uh, hire Dave. He's great. Dave's the guy you want. And then I took that into this folder with my actual typed resume, such as it was at the time. And uh, I think back to that, like, I, I, that's a little cringy. Um, uh, I thought I, I think I might've done the same thing as you <laughs> a couple of times myself. So <laughs> I mean, I look back, you know, I was, it was, I guess it was, I guess I, I had a, I was approaching from a sweet natured perspective, not something I would probably suggest people today. I, you know, comes across a little uh, quasi unprofessional yeah. but uh, I don't know I mean I try to have a cheery disposition cheery disposition in everything I do and that was cheery that was cheery Dave saying please hire me literally well, I'm sure I'm uh, sure those people got a kick out of out of that type of resume certainly stood out I'm sure I, I, I hope so I mean uh, like I said I met a, I met a cup of coffee and much like with Hall when I first met nothing really came of it and I guess somebody I ended up working at the dinosaur place. And then um, when that finished, um, uh, even my hiring at Kappa was because they were looking for someone to do clay and somebody on the small team they had already assembled uh, remembered seeing me interviewed on a, the TVO show that I had done that the theme was animation. So I animated a segment for this TVO episode. And then they interviewed me in my parents' basement I had a TVO film crew in my basement. I was nuts because it's like a hundred square feet. So we're like, you know, big camera and guys with lights and me, me with my plasticine. But this, the this guy saw me and mentioned the cup of coffee uh, guys, Adam Shaheen. Oh, I saw this guy on TV and I had to go and worked in his parents' basement, apparently. And uh, Adam at Cup remembered me. Oh, I know who that is. Went through his Rolodex. 
from the, inter- the, the interview we had a year ago, called me up and I went in and began my uh, uh, long, great uh, tenure at uh, a cup of coffee. What a coincidence, eh? So oh, I, totally, yeah. Yeah. So, a cup of coffee, unfortunately, isn't around anymore here in Toronto. No, um, no it was a, it was a great place to work. We, yeah. we did a lot of really. I, again, I can't stress the awesomeness of the people that I met and worked with there. Truly, a wonderful, eclectic mix of animators, artists, sculptors, uh, performers. You know, stop no, not you know, not, obviously not being drawn based. You're working with a puppet, so mm-hmm. in many ways, it's it's like live theater very slowly, uh, or as I often like to say, playing with toys extremely slowly. So, <laughs> you know, we had dancers and people who did martial arts and actors. Uh, we had people who had never animated before come in. We gave them some, you know, some lessons, tips, and they ended up becoming fantastic uh, stop mo people. Uh, there were filmmakers and documentarians, live action set builders who would come who were, you know, needing a change from the live action world, came and did live action sets on like a one sixth scale and loving it. Sounds uh, like an animator's paradise, really. It was, you know, it was it was amazing. We just did so many cool and funky um, projects, Christmas specials and um one of my favorite gigs, we had this, uh, you know, Spike TV? Yeah. They have their Scream Awards every year. So one year we did uh, some bumpers and spots to advertise the Scream Awards. And the creative from Spike was that they wanted this old movie theater full of monsters. And, uh, you know, I think we had budgeted originally like maybe for like to feature maybe six or seven monsters. Uh, everybody on the crew got so excited. I think we designed on paper about a dozen char- characters. We sent them to the clients. The clients said, gosh, we love them all. Just, <laughs> I guess just build the six that you love the most. We ended up making all of them and then more monsters on top of that because everybody, for everybody, it was a completely... We built this fantastic rundown, kind of like 1930s uh, red velour seat movie theater with uh, ornate plaster balconies and um, cobwebs. Um, we we had werewolves. We had a giant spider baby, body of a spider, baby doll head with like mandibles and glowing eyes. Man. And uh, we had one scene. Generally, as you know from stop mode, generally you're a solo animator on a scene, right? Yeah. Well, we had one wide shot where I think we had probably 40 puppets in the set. And uh, there was two of us, me and this other very talented stop motion um, animator, a guy named Alex Gornick, uh, fantastic animator. Uh, the two of us working in tandem with my camera shooting and his. So we divvied up the characters 2020 or whatever it was, and we'd animate our dudes. And then we'd go, I'm done. Are you done? Okay, I'm done. And we both duck and click the click the camera stand back up and animate again. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was a fun place to work. Preschool. I know adult. I know exactly the spot you're talking about it because it's it stood out in my mind all these years because I saw it way back. My only criticism is it's not longer. It's very oh, short. Oh, I know. I mean, I just that was. I think we spent maybe 
two and a half months, maybe three months in that production. Wow. And uh, yeah, I didn't want it to end. I actually ended up making, um, we took five of the puppets. I took the, um, we had a Medusa, we had a Jackalope, we had uh, uh, like the fly, a mummy, a mummy with lobster claws, and uh, a really cool thing called Squidbot, which looks like this alien squid with robot legs and his tank his air tank is actually full of liquid with yellow led lights so it lit up and i pose them like the pose from the breakfast club yeah and i i made a movie poster i called it the scream club uh and then i distributed it to you know some of the crew members afterwards because we just i didn't want to let that one go that was that was a really <laughs> fun ridiculous project to work on yeah so okay so um cup of coffee isn't around an, um, anymore unfortunately and it kind of feels yeah. like the state of stop motion in canada is back to where you know kind of where it all began there's a few studios kind of starting up but it's very small so what what do you think somebody has to do uh to pursue a career in stop motion if they're in canada or toronto or surrounding area kind of like where you were at way back when you were um you know just starting out yeah, I guess, you know, it, like all things, it's um, it's cyclical, right? I mean, I know there's a couple smaller studios that have uh, gained some traction, like, like you know, obviously uh, Stop Motion Departments and uh, yes. Sea, Creature, sea Creature at Montreal. Yes, um, they've both, both been on places. this podcast. Oh, well, there you go. And they're all fantastic, fantastic people. Um, can't say enough good things about Sea Creature and Stop Motion Departments. Um, so, but again, but you're right. I mean, and back when I was looking around, there was, uh, there was a cup of coffee and I, I don't even think headgear had quite started yet. Um, yeah, headgear is still around. Was some, yeah. Headgear started, I think just, just a little, uh, just a little after I joined Kappa. So, um, so it's not impossible. I think the key thing is. Uh, in terms of building up the industry again, again, it's kind of cyclical. It, if there's the demand from clients, um, uh, agencies, uh, you know, productions. I mean, I, you know, I'm sure you saw in trades that Stupid Buddy Studios is gearing up for, I think, a couple new stop motion projects. That last yeah, they just, they just put a and call out for hiring. They are. They are. And uh, they haven't. I, I was visited their place uh a couple of years ago down in, in Los Angeles and they're a bunch of really fun guys and uh, nice studio, great little studio set up too. Um, I wanted to hang out and play with some puppets while I was there. <laughs> yeah, um, right. So they're, they're really thrumming along quite nicely. Okay. Uh, so so you see, you see like uh, the wave, you know, in, increasing in these recent years. I would hope so. I mean, I think for the immediate future, uh, you know, it depends on whether, you know, the size of the gigs that the local studios can, mm. can get. Um, your other option would be most likely uh, probably to have to, to consider some travel, you know, either going out to Leica or across to Ardman. I did actually just just before I, I was hired at Kappa, I sent a reel over to Ardman and uh, then I got hired at Kappa. And then like two weeks later, I got the response from Ardman. So, oh, wow. uh, yeah, we, we, 
Yeah, and I was saying, yeah, we quite like your work. Your work's uh, nice. Uh, you know, but it was kind of like uh, next. <laughs> next time, was that was that a little accent I heard? Oh yeah, sorry, I laughed. So <laughs> I, I I have my Mrs. Doubtfire UK accent, which is oh, no. you know, it's a bit vague, <laughs> somewhat somewhat UK accent. But they said um, next time you're in Bristol, pop in, which was not nice. we're hiring you. It's just that we we'd like to meet you, but I'd already you know uh, luckily uh, got at the Kappa. So that wait wait wait, they're not hiring you, but they take well, they, a, take they, a no, flight no, out. No, I'm saying they. Like they weren't saying we want to hire you. It was just yeah, like, yeah. yeah, your reel's got some nice, uh, some nice things. Next time you're in Bristol, pop in. I got gotcha. you. I'm thinking, okay, I'll just, I'll, I'll just, just hop in my on. canoe. I'll just hop in my canoe and you know, <laughs> paddle across the Atlantic. Hey, I'm here. Uh, so, um, so I didn't, you know, but yeah, you know, I was already at Cup and having a complete blast on the, uh, yeah. was it, the Teletune job, like my first gotcha. job at Cup of Coffee. Gotcha. So okay. for today, I think. Um, you know, certainly, obviously, there's more opportunities for 2D and 3D, absolutely. And I think that, uh, you know, to be, to get in the industry, and if you want to work in stop mill, that's fantastic. But yeah. also be prepared to work on some stuff which is not stop mill, just to get your name out there, make connections, but always keep the antenna out. Gotcha. And if you want to, you know... Uh, travel, um, you know, I would say go for it. I mean, again, stupid buddy, they got some fun stuff happening there, so go down and do that, or you know, reach out to Leica. There again, you know, Leica's work is wonderful, and then there are other, you know, boutique. Do some research again. You got, yeah, you all got the internet today. I mean, you can research up other independents that are, you know, in the UK that do some great stop mill work as well. Of course, none of which come to mind immediately. Right. I, have any, I have no cheat notes with me, unfortunately. Um, and then also, uh, if you have the um, uh, equipment and the space, work on your own stuff. You know, make your own shorts. Again, uh, you know, there's there's the Montreal Festival that you could try to get work into. That's uh, true. It's about making connections and making them. Um, you know, uh, making a, again, it's part of the reason why I did, you know, Road and Stew back in the day is I, I, I will say, I, I will say I was hoping to get in a lot more festivals than I was able to. Uh, I, it played at the Chicago International Children's Film Festival. It played at a festival in Houston and it played at the um, uh, New, a New York festival, ASIFA, ASIFA East. Hmm. Uh, but a lot of festivals, uh, and this is a cautionary tale. A lot of festivals at the time didn't accept him, and I was becoming a bit. Why? Why won't? Why does nobody want to show this film? And uh, the woman who ran a CIFA back then uh, kindly, I got on the phone with her, and she accepted it. And I said, "Well, thanks for accepting the film, uh, but can you tell me why I'm not having so much luck in a lot of different festivals?" And she said, "Well, your film's a little long." You know, it's almost 17 minutes. Most yeah. festivals would rather screen three five-minute shorts than one 17-minute film. So the, the key takeaway here is to get your work out there as a stop-motion person specifically, do something short, do something great. Do a wonderful, funny two-minute piece. 
that showcases your abilities, your skill, your design sense. You know, enter it. There's all kinds of independent festivals out there, one-minute film festivals. Uh, you know, obviously get your Vimeo page going and get the word out. Join the community. Join the Facebook page and connect, connect, connect. Um, yeah. You know, um, there's Start ways to Start a podcast this. specifically on stop Start? motion. Start a podcast. <laughs> in, I was going to say, in a different time slot with yours. <laughs> who does who does time slots anymore, right? Well, I always release these on Tuesdays. So Tuesday's my day. Uh, you can have any Tuesday's other. your day that you drop. So there you go. There you go, stop motion world. Do whatever so, podcast, but Thursday mornings instead. Yeah. So you're not currently working in stop motion. And you said before there's more opportunity in 2D and 3D. Can you just, uh, I guess, give a glance at where you're at right now yeah i mean i go don't get me wrong i still absolutely love stopno um but uh i decided at some point as much as i love it which i do i wanted and needed to expand my repertoire of things i'd worked on now at kappa i did do you know some 2d some flash stuff and some pixelated uh work i actually stop motion actual actors for one project which was interesting and cool uh, but i also wanted to go into other productions that were you know in different media so um began to i worked at um i did uh, two seasons of directing the animation for the cbc series uh, the adventures of napkin man which napkin. was a lot of fun and it was a flash flash animated show but again, it was kind of up my alley because it was 2D flash uh, against live action background plates. So a bit of a hybrid thing, which, you know, I, again, I love the aesthetic. It's miniature dioramas and, and 2D characters designed a bit like Schoolhouse Rock. So, uh, you know, a bit of a departure. Um, I, I worked um, on a co-production where I was in charge of five writers to do the scripts so you know I'm, you know sort of story editing and uh, story consulting and managing the team and that sort of thing so that was completely not you know in my experience uh kit uh so it was kind of learned by doing sort of thing and that was a fantastic experience um and currently i'm working at a studio in, uh, in hamilton called uh pipeline uh which is a 3d and 2d studio and, uh, you know, I jumped in, I worked on a 2D show called uh, Fangbone, which was a lot of fun. Crazy barbarian kid from another planet, and wizards and monsters and magic, and uh, it was a lot of fun. And then worked on a, co-directed a show that we just finished for Nickelodeon called Sunny Day, which is a hy hybrid 3D, 2D show, Harmony and, and Maya. So, again... Uh, you know, a lot of challenges there. It's a ha it's a half hour preschool show, which is a little unusual. Most of them are, you know, eleven minutes for stories. Yeah. Um, and it just opened me up to, you know, a whole different way of working and different people, and uh, and that's important to me is is the people I'm working with, and the projects I'm working on. Nice. Um, you know, uh, I I like to work on I like to working on projects that, um are interesting or cool or fun or have something in, in, uh, positive or important to say for the world. 
So, um, so don't, get me, don't get me wrong, though. I still <laughs> sculpt uh, on the side. I still have some clay characters I've been working on. and. <laughs> Um, well, then perhaps this is a good question. What would it take for a studio that is primarily focused on 2D or 3D to invest in a stop motion project? I mean, you you have the best of both worlds in your mind. You worked on full stop motion productions. You, I'm sure you're familiar with budgets and things like that on stop motion. And you've produced 2D and 3D shows. So what would it take for a studio to say yes to a stop motion project and put that in their in their workload? Well, I mean, um, again, it comes down to the project itself, you know. Um, some projects, as you know, work better in certain mediums mm -hmm. over another. So the specifics of what the show is, some just work better as a 2D. Some work better yeah. logistically, especially for series TV, where, you know, it's, it's all about trying to be as creative as possible in the schedule that you've got and the budget you've got. So sometimes, you know, 3D is the way to go, but um, stop motion, I, I think it's, um, gosh, again, it's a bit, each situation is different. It's the aesthetic, it's the story, and whether they, the studio feels, especially if they're branching out into it, yeah. uh, the, the outlay of equipment. Now, again, equipment-wise, I mean, it's not cheap, obviously, but it's better than what it used to be in terms of you know, DSLR camera, the Dragon Frame software, uh, yeah. desktop Mac or whatever you're using. And uh, the LED lights have changed the game too, right? They don't mm -hmm. have these humongous, um, set. well, uh, one experience I had, we were renting like um, live action film lights to light my clay set in August. And it was... Uh, was melting the clay a little bit so you, know, <laughs> well, you don't get you don't get that with the led lights anymore which is fantastic well you don't get that in 2d either you well, well, <laughs> so okay so um but all the things you just said like what if a good project comes along where the aesthetic makes sense um is it is it mostly the investment in the equipment that's preventing a studio from doing this yeah, I'd say so to some degree. I'd say it's the investment because, again, if you're a studio that is primarily 2D or 3D or a mix, yeah. I mean, obviously you're set up with Cintiqs and you've got the licenses for the software and, you you know, also you've got the personnel who this is what they've been, you know, yeah. schooled or experienced. You've got, you've got economies of scale and all your what you have already. Right, so if you're going to branch out and, tr and, and go into stop now, there is that initial pump of, okay, so we need to find studio space to shoot. We need to get the camera gear and the software and, and the, the startup hard costs, lighting grids, if you're going to go that far. I mean, Kappa for years, we didn't have lighting grids. It was all fans, right? Mm. Um, and then as the productions got a little bigger and more uh, long-term, we began to put actual grids and curtains. And all, well, we always had curtains, but putting the <laughs> grids and all that. Um, so are people pitching stop motion shows all the time? It's just that they never get picked up or are people not even pitching them either? Well, I, I, again, uh, it's all cyclical. Like I've heard, you know, uh, a couple years ago that some of the streamers at the time were like not interested in stop mo because, you know, the, the, uh, the icons 
on the Netflix page of someone sees stop mode, they're going to just go right past. Mm. I personally think, mm, I think it's the content and the design that's going to grab you time and time again. Um, so, uh, again, it's, you know, don't forget when, um, how things are cyclical. I remember in 93 when uh, Jurassic Park came out, you know, there was articles, is stop motion dead? Yeah. Is this the death of stop motion? Of course, that's the same year that Nightmare Before Christmas came out, four or five months later. And yeah. everyone's like, oh my gosh, stop motion is fantastic. So, <laughs> you know, it, it really is like, it's like, it's this undulating wave. And people think it's really cool. I, I think personally, uh, especially again with the announcements from uh, Stupid Buddy uh, and the ever-increasing quality uh, and artist and this, the, the changes in artistic scope from, uh, from Leica, I think it's kind of on the upswing again. You know, I think everyone, for me, I mean, obviously, I guess I'm biased since it's what I kind of started out with. I, I can't understand why you, as long as it's, interesting engaging designs yeah. why you wouldn't like it because for me i've always thought you know the very first thing we're we're kind of aware of as young children are the toys we play with the stuffed animals the little action figures whatever we all pretty much have some form of that experience and so when you're playing with little sets and actually as puppets there's this i think immediate tactile feeling of i've been here before and then yeah. you watch it come to life right um, yeah. That, yeah that's always what's engaged me about the the medium i love watching little objects that i've either created or you know someone else is beautifully fashioned uh and i have a hand in bringing these you know monsters or trolls or heat miser or snow miser to life um, <laughs> and All again I mean, yeah, right, Pipeline is involved. Pipeline has a studio. I think they just made the announcement um, uh, in Kids Screen a couple of days ago, I think, uh, from Chile. They've, they now um, working on, they own uh, Zabastico. And uh, Zabastico does stop motion. Uh, they have a show called Paper Ports. You should look it up. It's fantastic. Yeah. And again, you know, there's an intrinsic charm to it. Because it's all paper, real paper, uh, or paper aesthetic. And, yeah, and the uh, stuff they do with it is really neat because it's, it's like origami yeah, sometimes. And... Exactly. And, you know, when you're watching the show, and again, I think this is part of, again, part of the appeal of Stop Now. You can be engaged in the production. You're watching the story. You're falling in love with whatever's going on. But there's always part of your brain which knows I'm watching actual articulated toys on a miniature set dance or drive cars or chase dinosaurs and whether it's a subconscious thought or a barely conscious thought for me that is part of the enjoyment of stop mode which you just you don't get that from 2d or 3d yeah. you know i mean it's, it's, it's like an extra element it's a, it's a different love with those mediums but stop motion just has its own unique uh engaging appeal yeah so um, you're not working on any stop motion productions other than your own personal work. What's next for you now? Are you uh, going to make a short film? Well, I mean, I always have great plans. I, I have one. Uh, I have one short film idea I've had for about 
oh my goodness, seven or eight years now. I actually, like all filmmakers and you know creative people, um, I have a, I got a few scripts in the back pocket, and I'm sure you do as well. <laughs> I'd like to do this, like to do that, I'd like to do this. But there's one I'd like to do, which is very short. Uh, it is stop mo. Um, I could probably turn it around fairly quickly. So I'm kind of tinkering with doing that because, like I said, you know, it's been a little while since I've been under camera. Yeah. And I sort of uh, warm up the chops, as it were. Um, and then, you know, in terms of working, I'm uh, just launched into a new series, co-directing a new series at uh, at Pipeline. So that's um, and it's it's a great fun project too. It's two D, uh, but charming designs, charming content, great characters. Um, so that'll be keeping me uh, keeping me amused and entertained for the next little while. Yeah, and you have to share the progress somehow. <laughs> well, it's it's all it's all top secret, Terry. Um, I had to uh, read the script and then put it in the shredder right away. Okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, so maybe to wrap things up, what would you say to someone who's interested in pursuing a career in stop motion? I know you've, you've kind of, this whole podcast has been like a flood of advice. Um, but, uh, you know, what would you, what's the, what's the one thing you want to nail down? Uh, <laughs> well, Nike, Nike took it, uh, but just do it. <laughs> Um, no, okay. not, to, not, not to be flippant. I mean, really, if you have a passion for it, um, you're, you're in a place today with so many options for learning tips from online courses. Uh, I see creature mentioned there's, right? Yeah, yeah, they, the Sea Learn Academy. Us. And yeah, I'll tell you, you can't find, I'm going to do a little shameless plug. <laughs> Dale and Sylvie, you can't find two better people as instructors, truly. Um, the work they do is fantastic. They're great people. They're super fun. Um, you know, be a sponge and learn from them. Uh, you know, with the uh, Dragon software, I, I know it's, you know, for your starting out, it might seem a little pricey. It's not super, super terrible. I believe there's a one-month free trial on there or something. A, exactly. Get the free trial. Make sure you got some things to animate first so you can maximize your month's <laughs> trial. Uh, and, but don't, again, don't even, if you're starting out, don't even get too stressed about, oh, I don't have proper lights and things. You know, Rodent Stew was lit, I'm not kidding, with 60-watt light bulbs, 7-watt night lights, and I went to Canadian Tire and bought three or four 100-watt outdoor flood lamps. Huh? And that's what the film was lit with. Flood lamps? I, well, like, because they, they were, you know, 100 watts, yeah. they had more, more oomph to them. So all of the, like, exterior skies, I had, like, a hanging piece of acrylic, and then three or four flood lamps on the floor aimed up to make the sky, you know, lit. Nice. Yeah. Um, and, like I said, my mother's colander, which went missing for four months, <laughs> uh, there, there were a couple desk lamps, which went missing, too, because they could articulate, like, could get it posed just so to light the so don't let don't let any don't let your low tech stop you if you're starting out just heck if you want to practice grab some fairly decent action figures that you can trust that's a key thing if you're going to animate something like an articulated character make sure it's got some robust joints so you're not constantly fighting it like the arm keeps dropping keeps dropping 
that'll frustrate you no end. Um, you know, or go online and learn very how to make super duper simple wire, you know, epoxy or wire aluminum block um, armatures for puppets. Yeah. Some of the best puppets I've ever worked with, where uh, I think I showed you an image last week, where carved from pink foam, wire and plumber's epoxy uh, 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 joints that, um, um, to bond like the spine together, whatever. And, uh, you know, three quarter inch uh, tie down screws. And then the body, the, the, the pink foam head and body pieces were then gessoed and patinaed with tissue paper and, and that. And to this day, still some of the best puppets I've ever worked with. Uh, <laughs> armature wire, you know, go to get proper armature wire from uh, Sculptor's. I've only ever and, used uh, dollar store wire and then, oh, you know, again, and it, then it breaks after 20 frames of use. So, well, yes, it, armature it doesn't wire. Have ten, it doesn't have the tensile strength, right? Um, but heck, I, again, rodents too. Again, I, I didn't even know the word armature back then. I, I knew they needed a... It, it needs a skeleton to hold it up. Yeah. So all of their skeletons uh, was stove wire. I got oh. this black stove wire and styrofoam. And, uh, you know, I just kind of made it work as best I could. Um, coat hangers. I use coat hangers for rigs to with fishing line to fly. There's one scene in Rodents 2 where this the toad uh, flies, uh, jumps off a pot, like a big kitchen cauldron pot. And it kind of flies through the air. And it, it was mounted. Um, oh, I know what I had. I had picked up from a garage sale a couple of microphone stands that had adjustable arms that could lock the arms uh, and they could extend out or retract. So I used those to, as character flying rigs. I would hook the fishing line to the end of the, where the microphone would sit, wedge the fishing line with wires into the back of the puppet, and then animate the, uh, our, the uh, microphone arm to fly them in and offset. Ridiculously yeah. low-tech. Um, and to this day, I still love finding low-tech solutions uh, for, you know, under-camera things. Or, I mean, I still build occasionally maquettes. Um, I built a few maquettes uh, at Pipeline for some development pitches. And, I, you know, I just, I grab some foam core and balsa wood and some Sculpey and, um, uh, you know, I'm down here with hot glue and I'm happy for hours just building you know little diners or bistros or whatever um crank my i think that's part of the out. appeal of stop motion too is you get to be so handy and creative in, in the materials you find and use and everything <laughs> it's true I, I like i like really being hands-on so i love uh like actually the sweater i'm wearing right now has got several shades of it used to be one of my good sweaters <laughs> now, there's, now there's just like that's one of your bad sweaters yeah, it's one of my, it's got just acrylic paint everywhere. Well, it's too bad we're not filming this with video. Otherwise, uh, everybody could see <laughs> no, it. My wife, my, wife, my wife is probably pleased that we're not filming. She'd be <laughs> like, why are you wearing that sweater? What's wrong with you, man? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, just I would just say if you have the desire to pursue it, uh, pursue it. You know, uh, don't think it's impossible. It's impossible if you don't actually start. That's the only guaranteed way that you'll never get where you want to be is if you let yourself stop you. Yeah. Just, just, now I'm going to steal Nikes. Just don't do it. Do it. Follow, <laughs> follow you know, 
again, a, a very small story, also stop motion related. Uh, the film I did in college, which I mentioned, the Clay Dreaming movie, mm-hmm. uh, because it's partly live action. Uh, the live action scenes were shot at the Sheridan uh, Library, and I had to go in to get permission to shoot on the weekend. And the library, whoever, uh, would only give me one hour. And I'm thinking, I was thinking at the time, that is not enough time. I need at least five hours probably to shoot all the scenes. And she's like, well, you can, you have an hour. And I left thinking, oh my gosh, well, there goes that. There's That's just, I can't possibly do it. And I remember sitting down in the hall slump thinking, well, there goes the film. <sighs> and then I decided, you know what? I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to go in and shoot. And who knows? Maybe they won't even check up on me. So I uh, booked my, like uh, my, my, well, actually one of my friends uh, unfortunately had to bow out the morning of the shoot. So I, I got to the school and he couldn't show up to shoot. Actually, so I was, I'm, I'm actually in the film. So I needed someone to run the camera. And so I phoned my mother. Oh, no. My mother came out to the college and I showed her how to use the 16 mil camera. And my mother was the cameraman, camera woman for quite a few of the scenes. And your parents are involved. In, are they still helping you out at Pipeline? <laughs> <laughs> you know, if I could find a way, well, my, they probably, my, they, they, they've been super, super duper helped throughout the years. But my point was, so I went to this library to shoot. And I was being mindful. Oh, my gosh. Security is going to kick me out. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. No one came. I think I spent like six or seven hours there. I got all the shots I needed. And then I moved on. But I could have very easily decided the day before, well, I guess that's that. And I didn't. You know, take a chance. Um, some, a lot of it, you know, seat of the pants flying. It can be nerve wracking, but it's also super exciting. And at the end of the day, if that's what you really want to do, uh, just just go and do it. Go and do it. Go and give it a shot. Well, I love that attitude, and I think that's a, a good place to wrap things up on. Just just go and do it, because just, just do it is already taken. Yeah, it's trademark. <laughs> I don't want the Nike lawyers to be like, Mr. Thomas, you must cease and desist. Well, they'll come after me, not you. It's, it's, I'm publishing <laughs> the podcast. Point. Yeah, and I, I couldn't use the phrase "go for it" because that's so 1986. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I, mean, yeah, I wouldn't want to bring that one back. So, well, I'm, I'm. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was a real pleasure to have you on, Dave. I'm well, surprised you didn't make more puns, though. Oh, um, well, we could start over. <laughs> well, like, let me direct you to my pun site because it's it's wonderful. Okay, uh, there we go. Was, there we go. That, I'm sorry. That's even a drip. That's like a two out of ten, even for me. That was oh, no. awful. That was I can't awful. wait to hear a ten out of ten from you. <laughs> well, the rest well, of yeah. it, trust me. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah. Well, thank yeah. you, Gary. And... I don't often get a chance to blah 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 about me, myself, and I, and not have people tell me to stop talking. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been my pleasure. I, I'm really, I found your story so interesting because it's, it's, it's so intertwined in all these like coincidences and random occurrences. And like, I grew up on TVO and like global and all these things too. So it's, it's been fascinating to just hear how your career went, <laughs> specifically yeah. in stop motion, because I'm a huge fan. Uh, well, thanks. So, and uh, <laughs> maybe, I don't know, maybe the fates are going, 
We keep throwing obstacles down, and he keeps finding a way around it. What is it with this guy? He won't. Uh, he won't not give up. <laughs> yeah. Keep moving forward. No, I'm, I'm uh, no, it's my pleasure. I, I really uh, enjoyed it, and uh, I enjoyed the medium. It's always fantastic to have a chat with somebody else who, you know, not only loves animation in general, but stop motion in particular. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure we will have many, many more chats about this. <laughs> I, I sure will. And I, I hope sure I see will. you around at Sheridan College sometime. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, swing by the uh, my mentor group and, uh, and hang out and say hi. I will. Um, and if you're listening and you'd like to get in touch with Dave, you can reach him at his email, which is dthomas187 at kojiko.ca. And I'll include a link to that and his film Rodent Stew in the description of this podcast too. So make sure you give that a watch. And that's all for now. Thank you so much for listening. Okay, bye.